0: (laughs) Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Jenny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside and coming at you from Virginia,
1: Joel Salatin is back. Thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you, Jenny. It's always a delight to spend any time I can get with you. It's always a treat.
0: (laughs) That's so nice. You're so nice. And we just did a session together at the Florida Homeschool Conference, which was fantastic, a lot of fun. My kids sat in on that one, call it Earthworm Theology, the second time that we've done that together. And last year we got the chance to come visit your farm in person. It was such a delight. We got the kombucha on tap. We did a walk all the way to the back. I don't know if it was the very back, but it was like we were up on this hill in the blue skies. And my kids were singing The Sound of Music. It was very (laughs) idyllic. It was beautiful. So it's just been truly an honor. I can pinch myself that I've even gotten to meet you because your books have been so influential. So, so grateful that you're here and super excited to talk about a lot of things, about a new book that you have coming out this fall. Can you tell us about it?
1: Uh, Yeah, I can. Um, Hopefully it'll be available you know, certainly before October, they're telling me sometime in early September, but I'm always a little bit scared of promises. Mm -hmm. Lots of things can happen in the printing process. So I had one printed and they sent, they sent the, the, that's called the, the blues. That's the, like the this is exactly the way it's going to be. They print one and send it to you, and it was it was print, half of it was upside down. So you know you can't make this stuff up. You know, it, it I mean, it's humans, right? And and right. we can have error. Fortunately, it doesn't happen very often, but uh, but once in a while things happen. So the new book, Jenny, is I do have a cover right here. It's Homestead Tsunami. Homestead Tsunami, good for country critters and kids. And um, those who follow me at all know that a couple of years ago, I wrote Polyface Micro about scaling down to homestead level our livestock systems. And so that was very much a how-to, very practical how-to. But since then, the last couple of years, I've just got this, I, I do a lot of podcasts, Jenny. I do, I don't know what, five or six a week, it seems like. Wow. And many of them, of course, are urban-based and people are... Uh, there's a lot of tension in our society right now. Uh, People who are thinking intentionally have a lot of concerns about where the country's headed, where Mm -hmm. our cities are headed, especially uh, with with crime shoplifting, um, you know, defund the police. All these things are are affecting people's faith in the, in the continuation of urban centers far more than you don't see that much in the rural area, but it's really an urban, uh, an urban thing. So uh, I've realized after doing the the how-to Polyface Micro, I realized, you know, what what people really need right now is they need a why. They they need a why. Why Hmm. would you leave, you know, why would you leave, uh, uh, you know, Papa John's delivery, pizza delivery, and go somewhere where you can't get Papa John's pizza delivery? Hmm. You know, why would you do this? And so that, that's the impetus of the book. I, I always write for what I feel like yeah. our culture needs or what people need at, at the time. I don't write to make money. I mean, it is nice to make a little bit of money, but but I, I write to minister. I write to the heart of what I think people need. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people need this right now. They're, they're worried. They're concerned. They're discombobulated. They need assurance that this crazy idea of getting an acre or two or five, and moving out of the of their condominium they need somebody to affirm to affirm and encourage them in that kind of thinking yeah homestead
0: tsunami so i don't know if you remember this but when we spoke together in virginia last year at the atav conference you were talking about this concept of homestead tsunami you were saying it just feels like there's a tsunami of homesteaders right and i don't think at that point you had started the book no and here it is a year later right and the book is already out to print mm-hmm. so what is your writing schedule like i mean you are coming out with books left and right and i know you have no television. I think this is really inspiring. I mean, you just spit it out. I think we were talking about it one year ago, and then it's already
1: out to print. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I have the distinct advantage, Jenny, of being able to write From my experience, Mm -hmm. so in other words, this is not a research book. I'm not going to the library. I'm not spending, you know, 500 hours putting in a footnoted, you know, bibliographed uh, research project. Mm -hmm. I'm writing from the heart. I'm writing from the heart to other people to their heart. It flows. It flows out of you
0: because it's in you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that when you have a full life like yours, Mm -hmm. and you have all of these experiences and all these people that you've met, and you travel around and you do these farm consults. And you have people coming to your farm to learn, then you have a lot to share.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so the actual process for writing for me is that I just basically wipe everything off the calendar, give myself two or three weeks, and just hammer it out. I make an outline. I do. I do. I make a, a table of contents, kind of a, a skeleton out. Here's the here's the topics. Here's the flow. And uh, actually, this book started back in. Uh, see, you and I did the Virginia homeschool conference in, what was it? Um, June. Early June, June, mm-hmm. June. Okay. Well, in June, I was either going or had just come from the homestead festival mm-hmm. at Rory Feeks' farm in Columbia, Tennessee. Right. And, you know, when he was asking me to to speak at the conference, I said, well, what do you want me to talk about Rory? He said, I want you to talk about the why of homesteading. Hmm. And so I actually constructed the homesteading tsunami uh, idea for that speech. And when I got done, so so that's where I put a lot of the thought, mm. the ideas, the thought, the 10 basic points, I actually conceived those for that speech. When I got done, I delivered the speech. I got done. and I remember thinking, huh, this would make a good book. <laughs> and several of my books have actually come from conference presentations mm-hmm. where people are asking, I want you to talk about this and something about the way it flows together the residents of the people, uh afterwards, you know, that's really good material. I realized, ooh, you know, that, that would make a good book. Mm-hmm. And so then so then last winter, last winter I actually, you know, cleared the calendar. Normally it's around Christmas, you know, that's when we got a lot, not very much stuff going on. Mm-hmm. We're kind of everywhere. We're that's our downtime. So everybody else's downtime is when I sit here at the at the laptop and and bang out a a, a book. And fortunately, fortunately my newspaper short, you know, two and a half year newspaper career unless you want to add the part time I was there in high school for two years but mm-hmm. that that little short newspaper career really really um helped me to have the discipline to crank out material to crank out copy you know when you're sitting there the, and and the copy editors breathing down your neck look Salatin, the press is run in 45 minutes I gotta have this article. You can't say, oh, I I have writer's block. You know, I can't think. No, 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 no. You 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 gotta you, you gotta get it out, right? You gotta crank it. And mm-hmm. so I will I will never regret those couple years in that newsroom, you know, cranking out copy every day. Hmm. I'm still thankful for it every day. Yeah, because you gotta do it. Yeah, you gotta do it. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I'm super excited
0: to read that. And people, when it comes out, I'll make sure I'm posting everywhere so that people know and can come read Homestead Tsunami, the why, which is important. Like you said, people are really struggling. So I was hoping today, since we have some time together, and maybe you can help me make this transition, I think you've got the wisdom for it. But we talk with getting kids outside, about how it helps their whole being. And so we talk so much about the physical parts and we talk about the emotional and we talk about it helps with their social skills and their cognition, all of these different things that helps with the whole child, but it also helps them spiritually. And we've actually never talked about that on this particular podcast because people listen and they have different religious beliefs and different worldviews but I personally was extremely impacted by your book, The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. And so I thought since you're here, I really would love to talk about that. And I know that you have had a lot of experience riding that fine line of talking with people who have a very different worldview than you do, but you're still coming together and finding some commonality through the things that you're passionate about. So if you're up for it, I think, well, this would be a really great episode for people. If they're, you know, there are a lot of people who would love to help their kids grow spiritually through spending time in the outdoors. And this book is life changing, The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. Well, let's start here. How do you sort of bridge that gap?
1: Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs is a definitely, it's, it's written from a Christian perspective, a Judeo Christian perspective. You know, everybody. Knows me knows that my my self-made moniker is Christian, libertarian, environmentalist, capitalist, lunatic, farmer. And generally, you know, we have this idea that 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 Christian envir- and environmentalists can't grow on the same pair of legs. You know, Christians are here to dominate and exploit and Conquistador, (laughs) you know, think of all the things that have been done in the name of God, all right? We claim this land for God, you know, Spain, the Mm -hmm. Conquistadors, that's the most egregious example, but I mean, but the Crusades, and and, I mean, those of us in the faith community, in the Judeo-Christian faith community, can look back with a lot of embarrassment about things that have been done in the name of God, okay? So, I am very, very quick when I'm dealing with people of other faiths or no faith, to acknowledge very quickly that we biblical people have a very tainted past, and uh, you know I, I can repent in sackcloth and ashes. I'm sorry. I apologize. Look, let's not make fun of the tree huggers. Okay, let's first acknowledge. I mean, you know, there's there's time to debate later. Okay, mm-hmm. we can debate later. But the first thing, the first thing we need to do, I think, as a faith community, is to acknowledge our own shortcomings throughout our history. Not the least of which is, I mean, we see it on our farm. We came in 1961 to a, the most eroded, gullied, worn-out rock pile in the community. And, and I'm, I'm thinking back over those 150 years that Lutherans and Episcopalians owned this place before we came. I don't have anything against Lutheran and Episcopalians. I just know that they were Germans, and the local churches right here tend to be Lutheran and, and Episcopalian, primarily German Lutheran, okay? Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, so these guys, no doubt, put money in the offering plate. They probably supported missionaries. They probably did all sorts of things. And they were doing this charitable giving on the back of destroying their ecology. Mm -hmm. How does that work? And then when you realize that God owns everything Mm -hmm. and it's all His, I'm saying, you know, if it were mine, if I were God, okay, and this were mine and I had made it all, would I really be happy with a dead zone the size of Rhode Island in the Gulf of Mexico? Mm-hmm. Would I really be happy with infertile frogs, with three-legged salamanders? Mm-hmm. For me, I'll give you one, one really uh, a special story where kind of my epiphany developed over this. Mm-hmm. was I was speaking at UC Berkeley doing a seminar on environmental farming, e- ecological farming. Had a you know, room full of grad students, I don't know, two or 300 in the room. It was packed. It was wonderful. And I I don't wear my faith on my sleeve, but I'm not ashamed of it either. And so Mm -hmm. I did my normal creation and, you know, sanctity of life. You know, life's important. God owns it all. So UC Berkeley. Now, if you know UC Berkeley, I mean, that is like the hotbed of, let's just be very charitable and say questioning faith. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here I was in in this place and and did this thing and I got done and I got a standing ovation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got done. Uh, it, by that time, it was dark. It was an evening lecture. And the two professors that invited me took me out for ice cream. People who know me know that I have this fetish about ice cream. So we went out for ice cream, but but we got outside the building and we got in a street corner and immediately they kind of stopped me on the sidewalk, you know, confronted me. And they said, uh, we have a confession to make. Now, like, oh, this is interesting. You know, hey. confessions that conjures up all sorts of things. I said, wow, what's the deal? They said, look, We've been here for 20 years during the Vietnam years when Berkeley launched the the Vietnam protests. Mm-hmm. The students there developed a hissing. So when lecturers would come that they said something they disagreed with, they would hiss. You know, Shh. I mean, this is very professional, very academic you know, this is very mm-hmm. uh, decorum, okay? Uh, I'm being totally satirical. But anyway, they developed this and they said, "We've been here 20 years, ready for this Jenny. We've been here 20 years. We have never never heard a lecture use the word God reverently. Now, if you want to swear, that's fine. But to use the name, the word God reverently and not be hissed, you're the first speaker who's ever been here who said God and the student didn't hiss at them. 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. And it struck me maybe and trust me, I'm not trying to build myself up here. I'm, I'm trying to make an explanation to the faith community. Maybe this was the first time that these students had encountered a Christian, a person of faith, who was actually struggling trying to, to be a steward, trying to honor and respect God's stuff. And not just exploit it and mine it and use it up as fast as could be, and make fun of people who did care about the birds and the bees and the soil. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me that night. It just hit me in the in the face that idea. And what it made me think was, my goodness, imagine if the faith community actually owned environmental stewardship. Mm -hmm. We can call it creation stewardship. What what if we owned that narrative, because we are stewarding it as a worshipful element toward the creator rather mm-hmm. than giving that, may I say, moral high ground off to creation worshipers who worship it in and of itself without a divine being who made it. Yeah. So anyway, that that's where I'm coming from. And I think that's how you bridge it. And yeah. I think those of us in the faith community, you know, acknowledged where we are and acknowledged our responsibilities in this space we would develop an emotional equity with a lot of people that currently despise us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't have any problem going to a Sanctity of Life rally and then stopping off for lunch at Chick-fil-A of factory farming. I can tell you, uh, being all over the world with various people, I can tell you that for the the environmentalist, the hypocrisy Mm -hmm. between a Sanctity of Life person and going to Chick-fil-A, which dishonors the chicken, that is as hypocritical as we view a person who's willing to chain themselves to a tree, to save a tree, and then doesn't have any care at all about ripping babies out of the womb up -hmm. until the day of birth. We view that as as unspeakably, whatever, um, inconsistent, hypocritical, whatever. Uh, We are guilty of the same thing. We, I mean, collectively as a faith Mm -hmm. community, we're guilty of the same thing, you know, from their end. So let's let us let us get ourselves fixed before we start pointing fingers at everybody else.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really eye opening and very thought provoking. So this book, The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs, like you said, is is one that comes from Judeo Christian faith perspective. It's a convicting book. I was telling Josh last night, I read it a while ago, and I, and I talk about it everywhere I go. It's one of my favorite books. Very life changing for me. And then i read it again just recently knowing that i was going to be talking to you i was like i need to read this book every year (laughs) i need to scroll back through because it is actually very convicting in the ways that you're talking about which is that so often we don't think about these things at all (laughs) and you bring up styrofoam plates at the church potluck and you bring up doritos and happy meals and gmos and what are we feeding our kids so can we start there can we start with what we're feeding our kids was this speaking to myself i mean i i read the book it's a reminder and maybe we need those reminders a lot that that actually really matters like what we're feeding our kids really matters
1: yeah well well uh yeah we do. we do need reminders and and Mm -hmm. before anybody you know switches this off because boy she's got a you know she's got a, a cultist on here I'm quick to say I'm I'm 80 20 okay and I think I say that in the book 80 20 80 okay. percent uh, right 20 percent not right that gives you a little bit of forgiveness that you can go to your you know go to your uh, niece's birthday party and pig out on junk cake and ice cream and have a good time and don't be a bore mm-hmm. uh, so so you know the the 80 20 thing so the, the the question is is the menu in front of me here's here's the sound bite Jenny is what I'm sitting down to eat at my table, is that menu consistent with what I believe in the pew? And obviously mm-hmm. a lot of churches don't have pews anymore, but is my menu consistent with the pew? All right. So if if what I say in the pew is, uh, let's just take the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the good neighbor, right? Yep. Um, is it being neighborly to pollute the groundwater to stink up the neighborhood with a factory farm, hmm. um, it, you know, is that how I would want to be treated? And so you you start into these things. Another way to look at it, I, I think, is if you look at look at what you're eating and kind of squint your eyes <laughs> and ima- use your imagination to kind of look through it. What's on the other side of that food? Hmm. What's on the other side of it? Is it soil building? Is it water purifying or, or, or water abundant? Okay. Is mm-hmm. it, is, is it clean, uh, breathable air? Is it energy? Um. Is, is it less energy? Is it family friendly? Mm-hmm. Does it honor and respect people? Does it honor and respect life? Was the chicken able to express its chickenness as a being? Mm-hmm. Did it encourage earthworms or did it kill earthworms? So all of that, comes through the, the production, the protocols, the processing, the distribute. all of this mm. uh, comes through. And so the, the question is, as I'm squinting, imagining, looking through what I'm eating, is that a world, first of all, that I would want my children to live in? Mm. But even more importantly, is that God's plan A for His world? Is that what God's desire would be for the world? And, you know, this doesn't have to just be Judeo-Christian. I mean, almost any religion would uh, agree that we should respect the pigness of the pigs, that we should mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, not stink up the neighborhood, that we should not pollute the water. I don't know any religion that would say we ought to pollute the water, erode the soil and kill earthworms. I, I don't know any religion that says this is this is actually pretty broad mm-hmm. I'm because I'm coming at it from a biblical perspective. I write from the biblical perspective but the same overall basic arguments could be made I think, from almost any religious perspective. And while we're on that, I think, uh, Jenny, uh, when, when you talk about the spiritual element of children being outside, to me, one of the most valuable things is being immersed for many hours of your life, if not day, but being immersed, let just say, immersed routinely in things that are bigger than me that i didn't make that i didn't do mm-hmm. when you think about being in the house and even being in a very urban setting our life is pretty much wrapped up or it being immersed in things that people did roads traffic lights cars mm-hmm. houses air conditioning right tv screens whatever it's all being immersed in what people did mm-hmm. but when you get out outside in nature and you're working in the garden or you're you're working in the woods you're Whatever, gathering eggs from chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just the the miracle of a chicken eating kitchen scraps and turning it into a wonderful egg. Eat. I mean, that's yes. that's nothing short of miraculous. Mm-hmm. You know, she eats this moldy junk that stinks and smells horrible, and gives me this wonderful egg for breakfast. And all that is beyond us. It's stuff that we didn't do. And I, I think there is a mm-hmm. very humbling spiritual understanding when we immerse in things that are beyond ourselves Mm
0: -hmm. and there's something about taking those scraps out to the chickens we didn't grow up farming but it's it's in our family it's probably in a lot of people's families and i just remember the this is recent for us you know three four years and the first time that we took out kitchen scraps to chickens and they're so excited (laughs) here you are you're taking your scraps, like you said, your bread that's gone slightly moldy, your the rinds of your watermelons, and you're taking it out, and they just come running for it, yeah. and th- that does something for your soul.
1: It, it, it does, and you know, Jenny. A lot of times, many of us, uh, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but boy, oh, boy, how many of us have tried to do do the right thing for somebody, to somebody, with somebody? And we were misperceived. It was not viewed appreciatively. We we ended up, oh man, I mean, I, I, I had no idea that it was good. That would be that my good intentions would be interpreted that way. Mm-hmm. And that's the risk you always have in, in, in human relationships. But boy, those chickens, I have never seen a chicken when you bring those kitchen scraps out. I've never seen a chicken stand back in the corner saying, huh, well, uh, I ain't, I ain't going to enjoy those today. You know, they all, they all come with, you know, and and they're all happy. And that's one of the beauties of dealing with animals more than plants, because animals are a little more, you know, expressive uh, than plants, but but plants certainly respond to, to love and care too, but especially the animals, you know, that unconditional affirmation to us is just. Incredible. People ask, you know, you just seem like you're always happy. I say, how many people get to make this many beings happy every day? Yeah. When I spread compost, and I'm just thinking about the actinomycetes and the mycelium and the earthworms and the azotobacter bacteria, you know, and I'm thinking about all of those, those 7 billion beings per handful of earth, 7 billion beings. And it's like a hallelujah chorus. Hey, we're being fed. You know, it's a feast. We got compost on our heads. I mean, that is the coolest thing in the world. And to just think like that, mm-hmm. it's just a, a blessing and a wonderful thing to actually let that be part of our thought process.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about the spiritual aspect. Like I said, we've never talked about it on the podcast, but creation, or like you said, other people may believe this depending on their different beliefs, but it gives us object lessons of truth yes so i think about it for myself in terms of homeschooling so homeschooling we can be very controlling with it but if you think about how in nature how things grow they grow little by little and they grow when you sing to them i know (laughs) there's like these different studies when you love them you know i think about our flowers are out in the back and we grew a little patch of zinnias and all day long they're listening to the birds sing and they're listening to the cows moo and they're listening to, and I don't know if they are, but you know, they, they're in this beautiful environment. And so I don't go out every day and say, oh, this one grew a quarter of an inch, This let me test that one. and we think about growth and I think that helps me as a mother. And so you have throughout this book, these different laws of life that are reflected in nature. Well, you were just talking about soil, but seeds, the same thing. And our daily bread. But one well, let's start with one of the things you talk about so much in this one is sunbeams and redeeming and capturing the energy. So can we start there? Can we start with the sunbeams? And what is the parallel there with our daily life and the sunbeams that are coming to rebuild the earth yeah. here?
1: Yeah, well, the whole Earth's power source is the S U N sun. And so these sunbeams are coming down, they're growing through the miracle of photosynthesis and chlorophyll in plants. Just think about this. Something as esoteric and mystical and fantastical as sunbeams can be grabbed by these plants and turned into physical, fungible uh, material that we can buy, sell, trade, measure you know, uh, substance. And of course, that's what feeds the soil. Then, you you know, you have the the carbon sequestration and you have the biomass that can either be eaten and digested or composted, but that's what feeds all the life in the soil. So the point is the sun, S-U-N, which is giving energy that you can't reach out. I do this with kids, you know, grab me some sunbeams. Do we think they're, yeah, well, grab me some, you know, and the kids are, you know, dancing around or trying to find sunbeams. Well, you, you can't grab sunbeams, but Through the the ecological process, plants can utilize them, take them, and manifest them in every conceivable way. Uh, You know, uh, uh, some grow into trees, some as grass, some as bushes, some as blackberry vines, some as soybeans and corn and, you know, cucumbers, whatever, okay? And and that Mm -hmm. provides life for us. The object lesson there is the S-O-N, we don't see him either. And if you grab, say, give me a piece of Jesus, well, you can't, you know, you, you can't grab that either, right? Um, mm-hmm. But what he does, he empowers us to then grow into a physical manifestation that is useful to our families, to our world, to everything around us, all powered by the Son. Mm-hmm. And so we turn, we turn the invisible into visible acts of grace. Whatsoever is true, lovely, honest, of a good report—all those fruits of the spirit—we're bearing fruit as we're powered by the Son, like the plants are bearing fruit as they're powered by the Sun. I just think that the the similarity between the Sun and Son is just too too perfect to let go. It mm-hmm. it's just a perfect object lesson.
0: Yes, and there's so many of them. So it's a great book for parents to read. You see, I see the sun every day as an amazing gift of new wealth. I don't deserve new wealth. Every time I see a sunbeam converted to vegetation, I see new wealth. And then talk about grace, God's grace, you don't deserve it. And so just all of these different object lessons, and one that really has always stuck out to me, and you brought up at the very beginning, is redemption. And God as a redeemer is one of my favorite qualities. I think that we have things happen in our lives that are very hard and very difficult and the word redemption to redeem to make it right to change it to maybe be in a spot that was even better than before that that is so powerful and you talk about the parallel between the earth and healing the earth and redemption so can you talk about that one too like i mean you say you came to your farm in 1961 and it was this barren wasteland and now it is like the sound of music fields and supporting all this life
1: yeah you know I, uh jenny i'm not that old i don't think I, I don't feel old um well sometimes i feel old but i'm not that old but to have come to this place we had we had 16 foot deep gullies we had had large areas a uh, quarter acre uh, in size in the fields where three to five feet of topsoil had eroded off over the years before we came through uh, mis- bad management and tillage. And, um, and I mean, these places didn't grow anything. Mm. Uh, you know, no weeds, no grass. I mean, it was just bare shale rock. And I remember as a kid being able to walk the whole farm and never set foot on a piece of vegetation. It was that barren. It was just, it was just wow. uh, you know, a, a barren place. And in my lifetime, all those rocks now have 12 inches of soil on them. Now it's not five feet yet but like it was, you know, 500 years ago, but it's, at least they're covered up. It's growing grass. It's, it's healthy. It's productive. The gullies are all, they're either, they're either filled in or they're, um, you know, they've got, we've planted, we planted acres and acres of trees to vegetate those gullies. I mean, it would look like the Badlands. It looked like the, you know, just gully, 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 gully on these uh, steep steep, uh, hillsides. And um, we planted trees on them several places, the gullies are still there, but you know they, they've got active debris in the bottom, they're not eroding anymore, they've got vegetation on, they've got trees on, that sort of thing. So to see that level of healing, mm-hmm. of redemption, of bringing back from barrenness, of bringing back from, well, uh, in biblical terms, we'd say from depravity, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and to watch that land heal is one of the greatest joys of my life. Now, when I walk out the back I don't feel like I'm in barrenness. I feel like I'm in abundance. Mm. And using these techniques of caressing and massaging the landscape, it responded in that way. And so by the same token, spiritually, those of us who adhere to the Christian ethic, we understand that we're we're born depraved. We're not born spending eternity with God, okay? Uh, Mm -hmm. We're born separated. And so that redemptive Capacity of grace of Christ's redemptive work on the cross provides an escape for our gullies, an escape for our rock piles, and, and moves what is a gully and barrenness and moves it to fruitfulness and abundance. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's a powerful metaphor. So so when people come to the farm, and I say this uh completely again, not arrogantly, but just this is my desire. My desire is that when people keep saying, oh, oh, so that's what redemption looks like. Oh, that's what forgiveness looks like. Oh, that's what mercy looks That's what abundance looks like. We want them to think about the physical that they see here in terms of spiritual provision. That's the idea.
0: Yeah, that there's a representation of it that you can actually see it. Yeah. We saw it. Yeah. We saw it at your farm, and that's very powerful.
1: And and I think that that's uh, if uh, that that's my whole premise of the book is that that physical creation is an object lesson of spiritual truth. In other words, look, you know, when we say doctrinal things like stewardship, like faithfulness, like love each other, like. God is enough. All right. Uh, I mean, all of these kind of spiritual truths, we humans, we need physicality to stuff. You know, uh, I mean, even Jesus said to his disciples, how will people know that you're my disciples, that you love one another? Well, love is not some uh, academic focus group thing. Mm-hmm. A lover requires an object, Okay, you can't mm-hmm. sit here and just say, Well, I'm in love. Well, what are you in love with? Oh, I'm just in love. Well, who do you love? Well, no, I don't love I'm just in love. You know, that that's crazy. Okay. Right. Uh love requires an object lesson. So God needed, He knew that we would need physical structure to hang his spiritual concepts mm-hmm. on. Right. We need something to see to give us an understanding of what we. Can't see, mm-hmm. and so in the book I talk about, for example, the the family that sits down to the to to the pork at the meal, and mom says, uh, "Hey, you know why we're ha- you know uh, why we're eating this pork?" And the kids say, "Well, no, well, remember we went to Farmer John's place last week, and we saw how he treats the pigs, we were how he respects and honors the pigs, and they're they're they smell good, and they're enjoyable, and it's fun to be around them, and all that." And we saw there, the way he was raising his pigs, we saw the glory of the pig. Glory is, is the uniqueness of something. But we, we spiritualize it. We, we, we only use glory about God. But the Bible doesn't use glory just about God. It says the glory of kings, the glory of countries, the glories of of um, of, of moms, the glories of dad. You know, it, 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 it's the glory of the moon, the glory of the stars it's a very Mm -hmm. physical thing. It's not just some spiritual thing that that only divinity has glory. No, everything has a glory. What it is, is the physiological distinctiveness. And so, kiddos, we're eating this pig because Farmer John raises this pig in a way that the pig can manifest its glory. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're eating this pork and not pork from, you know, over here where they don't care at all whether a pig manifests its glory. And Mm -hmm. so, what is the glory of a pig? And the kids are like, well, the glory of a pig is they like to root in the ground. You know, they like to gnaw on stuff. They like to find acorns, you know, blah, blah, blah. The glory of the pig. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then what is the glory of God? What is unique about God? Well, he knows everything. He, you know, and oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, suddenly you have this wonderful uh, spiritual discussion as an object lesson because you try to be consistent in your thought process. In your purchasing and your and uh, what you what you do what you do has created a physical skeleton for the kids to hang profound uh, spiritual truth on.
0: Wow, wow! What a cool thing about God, right? That He made it that way. Yes. And Jesus taught with object lessons, right? Yeah. The farmer went out to sow the seed, yeah. and if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and we think about it when you're talking about the chicken, and you say, I mean, I think this is a total miracle. It's like when you say. You take your kitchen scraps, it turns into an egg. Well, that egg in three weeks could also be a new chick. Yep. And that's a spiritual truth, right? That we are a new creature in Christ, that the old is gone, the new has come. What a quick object lesson, a three-week one yep. that we could teach our kids. Look okay, at scrambled eggs today, but later this month, it could be this really cute, fuzzy little chick. There's so many things like that And so your book is filled with ideas about abundance and the way that we treat our neighbors and what a farm should be like, and even practice. This was one of my favorite things in your book because I feel the same way that we can try the things out that are in the Bible. We could try these spiritual principles. So you say we can practice if a soft answer turns away wrath. We can practice giving a gift to the enemy. We can practice being grateful. And so you talk about that in terms of just daily life mm-hmm. like we can practice other things too getting better with our food
1: sure well that's one of the beauties of actually homesteading and i, I uh, that's starting into a theme that's in my in my new book mm-hmm. but but just the the fact that you know when you work with animals you learn very quickly that animals don't respond to yelling and kicking and screaming and mm-hmm. you know no cow no goat no sheep no chicken is going to love you throwing a temper tantrum, you know, you learn very quickly that that's not the case. And yeah, there are so many uh, rules. I, one, one of my favorite little um, uh of stories in the book, uh, Jenny, if I may be so bold, is is to talking about uh, youth groups. You know, all these churches have youth groups and the youth are always trying to figure out, you know, something exciting to do. And they're So they go to, you know, they go to the theme, they go to the resort, the theme park, they ride the roller coaster all day, you know, uh, young outing. And, and in the book, I challenge a youth group, say, hey, instead of doing that, how about everybody get a hoe and go to a a local farmer's place and uh, chop out thistles for the day? (laughs) I love love this. Mm -hmm. And uh, remember, these thistles came because of the fall in the Garden of Eden. There weren't thistles in the Garden of Eden, right? Okay, so the thistles came as a result of the fall. So if we say that thistles and brambles are like sin, and I think there is a biblical, there's a reason to, to think that, all right? So we're going to go out and we're going to we're going to attack sin today, you know. So everybody gets armed with their hose. They go to Farmer John's place and they descend on his, you know, field and they're chopping thistles. Well, uh, you don't have to chop very many thistles to realize every one of them has a vulnerable side and a side you don't want to go. Some of them are a little bushy. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to go to the bushy side. I'm going to go to the side where I don't get prickly, you know, when I get up to it. Mm. And so you're, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of analyzing each one. Where's the best place to, to attack it? Where's its vulnerability? I mean, imagine all the wonderful uh, discussions you can have about that, you can come together and say, okay, so so what's the thistle in your life? What, where's this vulnerability? How about, you know, where would you attack that thistle in your life? And, and you can have these incredibly rich, profound discussions when you participate. And for me, I just think it's so cool. When I chop, and I, I chop thistles today, I chop multiflora rows, there are plants that I hate. Multiflora rose is one of them. And, you know, when I go there, literally my head in my head space, I'm attacking sin, you know, and, and I'm thinking, mm. well, what, what am I not attacking him? What am I letting grow in my life that I'm not attacking, that I'm looking the other way? And are other people looking at a very thistly, a uh, brambly field? And I don't care. What, what are other people seeing in me, mm. you know? And and maybe I'd better be uh, attacking some of that stuff. It's just wonderful to walk through the day. I mean, I've always said, you know, when uh, Larry Burkett, he's passed away now, uh, but he was the financial guru. And basically every verse in the Bible, I guess today we would say Dave Ramsey, you know, Dave Ramsey, Mm -hmm. basically any verse in the Bible, he can do something financial out of it. And so I think God gifts different people, you know, with a uh, I don't know, a uh, 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 dedicated insight uh, with, with insight that brings it. And and so for me, for me, I see ecology, environment and stewardship in, in virtually every verse. And so I'm just thankful that I kind of have that. I don't know that, that. It's like that lens. That's what you're looking at. Uh, through. Yeah, yeah. Lens. And and, and, I, and I can, I can bring it to people who are a uh, on Netflix and uh, avatars. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's it's a really powerful book. Like I said, it's one that changed my life. So just very honored to get a chance to talk to you about it. The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. And we didn't really really even talk about what exactly, a little bit, because you talked about the glory, but the pigness of the pigs and the chickenness of the chicken. So people have to read that. It's definitely vocabulary that if other people have read the book, they totally understand. And you can come together over that vocabulary. There's a quote in here that says, integrating our lives with plants and animals, Bays us in object lessons about responsibility, relationship, faithfulness, expectation, perseverance, diligence, and unconditional love. These are the things that we're not learning at a desk and that our kids are not learning sitting, you know, with a workbook or things like that. Faithfulness, relationship, perseverance. And so it's very important, I think, that as we're with our families and, and teaching and trying to raise whole children, that these principles are there and that at least we're thinking about them. So, can you just give us a little sneak peek of homestead tsunami, like I don't know, a couple chapter titles or something like that?
1: Yeah, okay. so so um uh, the, the to, to lay the groundwork, I, I've written the book to three groups of people. I, so when I write, Jenny, I, I, I always I imagine that there's somebody sitting on the other side of the desk. so i'm I'm sitting here, you know, writing, but i'm I'm talking to somebody. and and my favorite thing as an author is for somebody to come up and say, you don't know me, but I feel like I completely know you. I mean that that's like the greatest compliment any author can can hear, right? That that they connected connected yeah. with somebody somebody connected with them. So, I've written this book to to three groups of people. The first group is are the people that are still in the urban setting but they're concerned about where things are headed mm-hmm. and they're starting to uh have, you know, discussions about Maybe we ought to go out and get an acre or two. Maybe we ought to have a garden. Maybe we ought to do some of this stuff. So for those to encourage them, to affirm them in the thought trajectory that they're on. Mm-hmm. The second group would be all their family and friends that think they're nuts for entertaining these kind of ideas what you know yeah um you know where are you going to go out to eat you know uh you know what are you what are you going to do when it's when it's dark outside there's no street lights uh mm-hmm. yeah but there's no ambulance sirens either you know mm-hmm. um and, and so so anyway so so, so the, na- the i call it the naysayers the well-intentioned naysayers mm-hmm. so, so now this they can just hand it to them and say here's why we're thinking what we're thinking you know that mm-hmm. that's the idea mm-hmm. uh, and then the third group of people and these are growing jenny every day the third group of people are the people who did make the jump a year, two years, three years ago. They made the jump. They had all these intentions and fantasies and dreams, and they're a year, two years into it. And guess what? The cow has mastitis. The cucumbers have powdery mildew. And the neighbor's dog just came and ate 10 of their chickens. Yeah. And they're discouraged. Man, this, this is not what we signed up for. And they need to rediscover their first love. They need to revisit mm-hmm. the why yeah. that brought them to this so that they'll stay with it and, and, and persevere. So those mm-hmm. are the three groups that I'm um, that I'm writing to. And so yeah, some of the some of the chapter titles, you know, a couple of them, um, uh a couple of my favorites. Uh, one is one is about chores and the importance of chores. Mm-hmm. Uh t- development of a young person so that they're responsible for something and also so they can see something really accomplished and, defi- and definite. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, self-worth, we hear a lot today. Look, Jenny, teen suicide rate, I mean, I just had discussions the other day with a, a lady that was here at the farm. She's a school guidance counselor. And she said, you wouldn't believe that the stuff that's going on in the schools uh, with suicides, with depression, uh, with, with, with disorders of every kind, including drugs. And of course, you know, the whole, the whole fentanyl look, you know, when, 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 when people get up and, and carry on about, oh, we need to, you know, shut down these cartels and shut down it. I'm sitting here saying who wants fentanyl, who needs it, who wants it, you know, it fills a void. And so if we want happy, responsible, productive kids, they need to very early on develop a sense of self-worth, of needfulness, of affirmation. I'm important. I have something to contribute to society. This is not prideful. It's not arrogant. It's not, I don't need God. It's, I am valuable. I am enough. Goodness, I'm valuable enough that, I mean, if we could go back to the earlier discussion, that Jesus wanted me in his kingdom. I mean, that's a wonderful truth okay as bad as i was all right and, and so this self-worth thing is a big deal well how do you develop personal value how do you develop that well you develop it by accomplishing meaningful tasks there are three critical words accomplishing meaningful tasks yeah. just because you accomplish if you accomplish a task that's not meaningful it doesn't give you self-worth maybe you're the top points getter on whatever you know um uh, game of thrones i don't know i don't even know what these video games are but you know maybe maybe you're the kingpin of that but that doesn't give you self-worth it's not self-worth like knowing how to grow a tomato it's not self-worth like knowing how to identify three different kinds of oak trees and the different kinds of wood it's not like knowing how to how to split firewood and develop competency gut a chicken make butter, okay? Uh, It's not like those kinds of things. And so we have this kind of idea in our culture today, I think, that all we have to do is tell our children, you're a good little boy, you're a good little girl, and they'll grow up feeling good about themselves. That's not the way it works. The way it works is you do accomplish meaningful tasks, and you develop great identity. You know who you are. You know what you can do you know where you stand and that all comes with important chores to do important work to do as you work together on the homestead so that that's that's one of the that's
0: good as a good little teaser i cannot wait to read it i have so thoroughly enjoyed every book of yours that i've read and i've read quite a bit of them every one all different mm-hmm. but all written in a way that holds your interest very impactful you walk away with life change every book i've read of yours lots to think about in particular, in this one, like I said, it was a convicting read for me. Things that I, in my entire life, have never thought about or considered. And so, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful when people bring up the topics that you don't hear other places. Because and what if you go a whole lifetime and you never hear about the styrofoam plates or the GMOs? And how does that relate to our spiritual walk? And it does. So, Joel, I so appreciate your time. You have so much going on at the Busy Farm and a team, so I always appreciate it and cannot wait to read Homestead Tsunami. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for having me. It's always a treat.